are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Well, you're looking absolutely incredible this morning. I love having people in front of me, and uh, I love having you joining me online. I'm so glad that we can worship together. You know, Annette and I were blessed with two daughters. Uh, Brittany is now 32, I'm pretty sure, and Morgan is 27. And... Uh, and I remember when both of our girls went away to college, um, we were so excited about them coming back home for the first time. And I remember in both of those situations, we wanted the house to be in perfect shape. We wanted all of their favorite foods in the refrigerator and in the pantry. We wanted the fireplace burning when they walked through the door. We just wanted everything to be right because our girls were coming home. What's interesting about Morgan, when she came home, she came home to a house that she had never lived in. We had just moved to Oklahoma City. She was going to school in Nashville at the time. And we realized that home was not as much about the place as it was about the people who were there. For over 40 years now, or around 40 years, I should say, I've gone home for Christmas. And for the last 25 years, I've gone to a home that I never lived in. But it's home because my mother is there. So when we started this series called Home for Christmas, you knew as well as I knew that home was not just about coming back into a room, a place. Coming home for Christmas was about coming to the Father. I feel like everything I want to say today is really important. (laughs) And I don't want you to miss any of it. So I want you to lean in. And, uh, and I want you to hear especially what I'm going to say in these next few minutes. We're in a season called Advent. And you know what Advent means? It's the anticipation of a person or an event. The coming. And so in this season, as we identify with people who are waiting for the coming of the Messiah, God's anointed King, to deliver Israel... When Jesus comes, He does deliver Israel. He does have Israel in mind, but He has way more than Israel in mind. He has in mind the idea that He's going to save the whole world. And so here's here's what I don't want you to miss. Jesus came to bring all of humanity back home. Now you say, Rick, if that's true, that really does change the meaning of the phrase, home for Christmas. Talk to us about it a little bit. So when we read the book of Genesis, we learn that God created Adam and he created Eve. And he said to them, I have prepared a place for you to live right here in this garden. The garden was called Eden. This is going to be your home. God said, everything that you will need is right here. Now, there were some things that were not in Eden. There was not guilt. There was not shame. There was not pain, there was not suffering, there was not death. None of that was part of human existence. What they had was life in the presence of the Father. And so I've given you this place to live, I've prepared it for you. This is your home, everything you need is here, and God says, I'm here. And so home is not as much about where as it is about who's there. And so what we do when we get to Genesis chapter 3 is we learn that humanity said we want independence. What if we want to do it our way? And we turned away from God. And we lost our home. 
You remember that Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. This home, this place that God had prepared for them to live. And they begin to live in exile. And that's why I say when Jesus came, He came as a sacrifice to mend that relationship with the Father that was broken and to bring the human race back home. Are you with me? So, one day Jesus says, let me see if I can tell you a parable that will illustrate the predicament of humanity and God's great love for humanity. And so, in Luke chapter 15, he tells the story of a sheep that was lost and then found. And then he goes to great length to talk about how there is a great celebration over the sheep being found. Then he tells a second parable. The parable is about a coin that was lost and the coin is finally found and he says there was great celebration. Now a parable is a short story that illustrates a, uh, you know, religious or moral truth. And he tells one more parable, one more story in Luke 15. Uh, Let me share that story with you, okay? It's a story that many of you would say you're familiar with. Um, Now, I'm not to the story yet, and I've kind of gotten ahead of myself. But I wanted to say this, and this is going to help us establish ourselves all together at ground level. We've all walked away from the Father. When I say all, I mean you. And I mean me. We've all walked away from the Father. And we found ourselves longing for home. And so let me take you to this passage of Scripture that illustrates this truth so well. Okay? So Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, this is something that a son would never ask of his father in the day that Jesus lived. Um, It was like he was saying, Dad, I can't wait for you to die. And so, could we just act like you've already died? And could I have what's coming to me? Now, in those days, the oldest son in the family would receive uh, double portions of what all other children received. And so, since there were only two sons in this man's family, uh, it would work like this. The older son would get two-thirds, the younger son would get one-third. And so, the father somehow liquidated one-third of all that he owned... And he gave it to the son, is what we see here. So he divided his property between them. Now, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth with wild living. It's hard to know really exactly what wild living means. However, later on in the story, his brother said that he spent all of his money on prostitutes. So you get the idea. And after he'd spent everything... There was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. So you get the picture. He once lived in this awesome place that his father had prepared for him. Sound familiar? Everything you need is here. And you're here in my presence. I'm with you too. And the son decides that he wants independence, and he turns away from the father. To go live his own life. And so he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. Eugene Peterson says it this way. um, 
the corn cobs and the pig slop was looking good to him. But nobody gave him anything. And when he came to a census, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. And so he develops this plan. He says, I'm going to set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I know that. So would you just do this for me? Would you make me like one of your hired servants? So he got up, went to his father. And I love this part, but while he was a long way off still, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. I love it. There was a song years ago that said, The first time I saw God run, He ran to me. (laughs) And there, threw His arms around Him and kissed Him. And so the son begins this speech that he's practiced. He said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupted. He wasn't having the speech. And the father said to his servants, Quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring the ring and put it on his finger and sandals and put it on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they begin to celebrate. Isn't it an awesome story? Truth of the matter is, it's probably your story. And it's probably my story. Let me let me give you a scenario. Let's say that next month Annette and I got a little spending crazy and um, and we spent way more money than we had made next month. And the next month, uh, the spending crazy became kind of an addiction and we spent way more money again than we had made. And we repeated that process over and over again for, for many months. We just kept spending way more than we were making. You were watching us saying, wow, where are they getting all this money? How are they afford to buy all these cars? And what are they doing anyway? And so after a few months, where would we find ourselves? In major debt. Here's what we would not do and what you would not do. We would not say, how did this happen? How did we go in debt? Because all along we would know what we were doing. And that we were on a path that was going to lead to a very bad place. If I had looked at you and said... What happened? How did Annette and I get so far in debt? You would say, well, you're buying shirt, cars rather like the shirts. Can't do that. You know, it's going to catch up to you. It's called the principle of the path. It's something we talk about quite a bit around here. I first heard the phrase from a book from a guy whose name is Andy Stanley. And he says that we always choose paths in our lives. We choose a path in regard to how we're going to deal with our finances. And right now, everybody has chosen a financial path. Here's what he says is interesting about that path. It has a very predictable destination. You can stand today and look into the future and see where it's going to lead you. He says, every time, direction determines destination. I always end up where the paths that I have chosen lead me. It's the same in our relationships with one another. I've chosen a path regarding my relationship with my wife. I can see where that path is going to take me. And what we learn in this story is it's the same in our relationship with God. We choose a path. 
But we can stand today and see where this path will take us. It has a very predictable destination. Now, earlier, I said to you that we have all walked away from the Father. At some point in our lives, we've said, I'm going to do it my way. We've all walked away from the Father and we found ourselves longing for home. You say, Rick, why is it important for me to know that? Here's why. It's because we've all walked away from the Father because we have chosen a different path. All of us. At some point in our life, we walked away and we said, I'm going that way. We chose our own way and we walked away from the path that our Father was leading us down. And so let's just spend a few minutes thinking about that path this morning, okay? So if I told you a story and said, you know, a few years ago, Annette and I knew this family, and they had this daughter or this son, and the daughter or the son, they really struggled to live within the boundaries that their parents had established for them, or they really struggled to live within the boundaries that the school teachers or the principals at school had established, or maybe later the deans at the college had established for them. They seemed to not be able to make a good choice. They seemed to choose a path that was unhealthy for them and they were choosing a destructive path for their lives and the family was all torn up and they prayed night and a day for that son and daughter i think most of you would say hey just hold on hold on pastor rick okay i think many of us would say that has been my family at one time or another we had a son or a daughter pastor rick that was their story I think what's interesting is others would say, I had a sibling who chose a path like that. And I think yet others in the room would say, I chose a path like that at one point in my life. I was the wayward son or daughter. What we've done over the years is we have redefined the word prodigal because you probably know by now that the word prodigal actually means an extravagant spender, a reckless spender. He's called the prodigal son because he takes all of this inheritance and he goes and he recklessly spends it. He wastes it all and it's gone. But we've kind of equated the word prodigal to mean wayward or reckless in all of life. And so that's the younger son. We, we, we know quite a bit about him. And you may be kind of sitting here today saying, well, it's Christmas Sunday and I kind of get where Rick's going. I don't blame him. If I was a preacher, I would probably do it too. He's going to speak to all the wayward people this morning. Hopefully there's wayward people here. Hopefully there's wayward people online and they probably need to hear what he has to say. But the story starts in Jesus' words. The man had two sons. And the older son was very different from the younger son. And we learn a lot about the older son. Here's what we learn about him. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Can you imagine tomorrow afternoon coming home from work and you you can just feel your house vibrating with loud music and you see through the windows that there's people dancing? And so he called out to one of the servants and he asked him, hey, what's going on? Your brother has come, he reported. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. All he can see is the younger brother saying, I'll have another ribeye and then I'm going to dance with that pretty girl. So his father went out. 
These are some of the best words in the Bible. You see a pattern here? When the younger son comes home, what does the father do? He runs to meet him. When the older son refuses to go to the party, what does the father do? So his father went out. It's, it's the story of Christmas. It's incarnation. It's God comes to us. No matter where we are. And he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all of these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed any of your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, (laughs) he doesn't call him his brother, does he? When this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And so now you're going to see what God is really like. My, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Literally, he meant it. The two thirds that's left, it's yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours, he was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost. And now he's found. So, you have one brother who rebels terribly and leaves the farm completely to do his own thing. You have another brother who stays on and is very obedient. And what we find is that each chose a different path that left both of them very distant from the father. So if in the story the father represents God, who do the two sons represent? And interestingly, to learn the answer to the question, you have to go back to verse 1 where Jesus begins telling the story saying that lots of people come to hear Jesus. But there were also two groups in that crowd. There were tax collectors and sinners and there were Pharisees and teachers of the law. And that's who the brothers represent, and they represent you and me. So let's, let's spend a few minutes there. Tax collectors and sinners. They always lump tax collectors with sinners. Tax collectors were Jewish people who sold out to their own people in order to work for the Roman emperor, in order to have this opportunity to charge you way more taxes than you really owe, and I'll put the extra in my pocket, and there's really not much you can do about it because I've been given authority. They were hated people and sinners, rebellious people who walked away from their morals and their religion and their faith. Why would they come to hear Jesus teach? Because Jesus lived like this. Jesus opened his arms to everybody. There were no exceptions. In fact, the Bible says that he welcomed them like, come on, you can hang out with me. And he even had meals with them. He would sit down and he would eat with them. And that was unheard of for religious people to eat with sinful people. But Jesus did all the time. In fact, he did it so much that they gave him a nickname. The nickname they gave him was friend of sinners. Hey, Jesus, hanging out with any sinners lately? But people who were sinful liked Jesus. And they liked hanging around Jesus. He even went to their houses at times. They identify with the younger son. Listen to the language in the scripture. 
he set off. He walked away. He did not choose to live the life that he was raised to live. He left. He rebelled. And so there's many paths that we can take in life. Let me, let me talk to you about some paths for a few minutes, okay? We all choose a path. There's no doubt about it. He chose a path called self-discovery. I did it my way. Oh, that was way off tune, wasn't it? I shouldn't have tried that. <laughs> I, am, I am no Frank Sinatra, that's for sure. But that's what he did. It was literally, I'm going to do, I know how I was raised. I know what I was taught. I understand the scripture. I understand morals. I understand right and wrong. I know all of those things. But I'm going to do this one the way that I want to do it. I'm not going to let anybody tell me how to do it. In fact, not even the Father Himself, meaning not even God. I'll make my own choices. I'll make my own decisions. I'll captain my own ship. I will direct my own life. I'll do it my way. And so that's the path that the younger son chooses. It's, it's a path called self-discovery. And, and those in the crowd who were sinful related and identified with the younger son. And yet what Jesus was really saying to them was, why don't you just come home? Why don't you just come back? There's another path. And that path is one called moral conformity. And this is the path of the older son. You can hear it in his voice. I never disobeyed you. I've worked hard all of my life. And it's actually the story of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who would say, we've kept all of the rules. We've been very moral people. We've been meticulous about being moral. You say, well, Rick, isn't this really a good way to live? I mean, isn't this the way you would want to live? You would want to conform to what, what morals God has established for us? The problem is there is a temptation in moral conformity. And here's the temptation that I obey in order to control. In other words, I will do these things, but God will owe me. And therefore, God will do these other things for me. You hear it in his voice when he says, I have done all of these things. I'm the one that deserves the feast. Why aren't I getting the kickback? Here's the thinking, okay? The thinking is, if I live a good life, then I get a good life. And you may be looking at me saying, what's wrong with that kind of thinking? I mean, doesn't the Bible really clearly say that that if we live our lives to honor God and to do what He wants us to do and, and be obedient to Him, that that's the best possible life? I do not argue with you at all. I agree with you. That's the best possible life. But when we say, if I live a good life, I get a good life, how do you find good life? Do you define good life by, I will make more money next year than I made last year? Do you define good life by nothing bad will happen to me? Do you define good life that nobody in my family is going to get cancer? Or nobody that I love will die of COVID? I remember one person said to me one day, he, he was frustrated. And he says to me, after tragedy had struck in his family, he said, What's the use in following him if this is the outcome anyway? And what he was saying was, 
I'm following Jesus because I kind of have this understanding that if I live a good life, I should get a good life. I remember one man said to me in a hospital waiting room after his daughter had been in a very serious car accident, we had a deal, talking about him and God. This wasn't supposed to happen, meaning if I live a good life, should I not get a good life? And here's how I define a good life. Now, I want you to think about it. Two very different paths. One says, I'll do it my way. Nobody else is going to tell me how to do it, not even God. The other says, well, I'm going to do it his way, but... I'm doing it in order to stay in control. See, both are in control. One is self-discovery and the other is transactional. If I do this for God, then God does this for me. Do you understand that there's people who have lived their whole life saying, if I'll give this money, if I will do these things, if I will attend church, then I'm expecting God to do this and to do this and to do this. And it's completely a transaction. I'll give you this. You give me this. Both paths breaks the heart of God. I went to a funeral a few months ago. And here's what was said about the young woman who had passed away. Her mother was her best friend. I remember one day calling a guy whose father had passed away and I said to him, hey, I just wanted to call. At that time, my father was living. I said, you're walking down a road I've never walked. I just wanted you to know I'm praying for you. I wanted to see how you're doing. He said, I don't know. This is the first day of my entire life that my father isn't there. All these years, all these years, every day, I could pick up the phone and my dad would answer. But this is the first day that's not going to happen. And then he says to me, Rick, I've not only lost my father, I've lost the best friend I've ever had in the world. I remember, I remember my mother when my grandma Hill died. That was my mother's mother. Her name was Katie Hill. And, and when she passed away, I remember the grief that my mother cried with. And to this day, my mother says, my mom was my very best friend. That's not that way for everybody. It wasn't that way for me. But in those stories I've just told you, what do you think that relationship was like? See, that's, that's the alternative path. 
That's a loving relationship with the Father. Do you know what I think God wants me to say this morning to somebody? Rest. Just quit trying so hard. And just rest in the fact that the Father loves you and you love the Father. I've come to learn that we do anything for people we love. I sometimes am afraid of what I might do for my girls and my wife and my granddaughter. My son-in-law, not so much. See, that's what, that's what Jesus is trying to say. This is what he wants you to envision. It's this loving relationship. I love it how... How God runs to the younger son in the story, the father. And in our lives, God runs to the rebellious. In, in our story, how God runs to the conformist, the father. And how God runs to the conformist in our lives. God, God runs to you. you. You know what I believe today? I believe God might be running to you right now. In, in this moment. I think that this whole experience this morning may be God's way of running to you. In these few seconds, God is saying... I'm here. You are always with me. Everything I have is yours. You thought I loved you because you obeyed? No. <laughs> I love you because you're my son, just, just like I love your younger brother. I never stopped. I just love you. And I just want to be with you. That's it. So Jesus comes to bring the whole human race back home. And he says, if you're struggling to understand it, let me tell you a story about a man who had two sons. He wants them both in the house. So we have some wonderful seats for you to sit in. And if you haven't discovered it already, right to your side, there is a communion cup for you. Unless you've jumped the ropes, then there is no grace for you today. And so would you take the cup... And those of you at home who are with us, would you, would you prepare yourselves now with your elements? And would those of you who are going to lead us come? And so Jesus is with his disciples later on in the Gospel of Luke. And he says to them, holding up a cup, this is... Or rather the bread, breaking it, saying, this is my body that is broken for you. 
And Lewis, if you'll bring me a cup, I've somehow gotten here without one. Thank you. There are many reasons why we will be glad COVID is behind us. Lewis is the most helpful person. So, there's no disrespect here. But I really struggle with solemn communion services. When the early church came together, I don't think they sat quietly and solemnly. I think they were laughing and talking while they were eating and drinking together. And so I think it's okay to to laugh and to talk a little bit when we eat and drink. In fact, I think it's better when we do. But he broke the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it, all of you. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. Drink it, all of you. It's poured out for the ransom of many. Talking about bringing people home. We often talk about receiving his grace. So I want you to bow your head in this moment. And maybe there's a prayer that you need to pray that says, Lord, I've been I've been rebellious against what you've wanted for me. Or maybe, Lord, it's all been about transaction for me. I just want a loving relationship with you. receive his grace for that in your life in this moment let's stand you have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene visit us online at bethanynaz.org